Lord, we ask you to bless as we look at your word. Guide, show us what you would want us to see through these verses. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 17, starting at verse 22 and going through the end of the chapter. And he said unto his disciples, These days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and yet you shall not see it. And they said, and they shall say unto you, See here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lights out of the out of the one part under heaven shines unto the other part of the heaven, so shall the Son of Man be in his day. But first must be he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as, the, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until that day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also it was in the days of Lot when they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they, they built. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from the heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day of the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house. Let him not go down and take it away. And, and he that is in the field, let him not otherwise, and let him likewise not turn, return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall two men in one bed, and one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. So we're going to look at this section of scripture that talks about the end days. Now there is debate on this section of scriptures on whether it's talking about the rapture period of time or the, the tribulation period of time. Either one works and I'm not going to try to make a decision on that but you know because there's a lot of a lot of people I tend to take it as a rapture ver, rapture scenario because it says remember Lot's wife who looked back on the past but I mean I can't make a strong stand on but I want to take a look at this Jesus is telling them the disciples are wanting to know when the kingdom of God is going to happen. When is the kingdom coming? Now, we talked about this in the past. The kingdom is what they were looking for. The disciples were looking for the kingdom. They expected Jesus to come as the Messiah and start the kingdom of heaven, what we know to be in the future, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ in, in Jerusalem. And they're asking, when will this be? And he's telling them very simply that, it's the, the, that uh, they weren't going to see the kingdom. Now, this is kind of interesting because even when Jesus died and was resurrected, the disciples kept thinking he was returning in their lifetime. And yet right here he told them, you will not see it. And for... 2,000 years, everybody has been waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, including hopefully us. I'm looking forward to the kingdom of God coming 
and I'm looking forward to us being taken out in the rapture and enjoying the freedom while the world goes through the tribulation period that they're going to go through seven years of tribulation. And then we'll come back and rule with Christ for a thousand years. We're all looking forward to that, hopefully. If you don't understand it, we've, we've done series on it and we'll talk more about it if you want. But we're not going to go through the entire eschatology or end times in one day. We've taught it before. We will teach it again. But we've given you various pieces. But he's telling his disciples, you will not see that day. And he says, they will say to you that here he is and that there he is. Do you realize that there have been a lot of people claiming to be the Messiah over the last 2,000 years? And we're even hearing it pop up every once in a while around here. There are all kinds of people who say they are the Messiah. They're not. They're not. All right? We've got a lot to go through before the Messiah is going to be seen. He's, when he comes back to this world to be seen, he will step his foot on Mount Olivet and it will split in two and a new, new valley will be starting in there and he will rule from Jerusalem. So until you see that event, which we won't because we'll be coming back with him, if you're saved, we'll be coming with him when he steps down. But until that event happens, the Messiah will not be seen on this world. And again, much of the, much of the end time teaching in, in, that, in those verses. Um, but he says, because, he says in verse 24, As the lightning lights out of the one part of the heavens and then shines to the other part, so shall the Son of Man be in his day. And I was thinking about that, you know. I get to watch beautiful lightning sh shows when I go home a lot of times from here. Because I drive from here to Kingman. And you know, a lot of times you watch and the lightning goes all over the place in the sky or the whole whole sky lights up and you've all seen you've all seen lightning uh lightning at some point but he says when he returns it will be as the lightning now most of the time when you see lightning outside of sheet lightning it is very quick it shows up and it is gone i mean i i'm amazed sometimes that these guys even have their camera ready and taking pictures they must be taking constant pictures to get some of these lightning strikes because you cannot by the time you got your camera set up and pushed a button the lightning would be gone so these guys have to be running their cameras constantly to get these lightning, lightning strikes they get. Um, but that's how fast. When he shows up, it will be quick. It will be instantaneous. And we have the rapture. In the twinkling of an eye, we will be gone. His followers will be gone. And I... You know, I've once looked it up. The twinkling eye is measured at, you know, thousandths of a second or something. It's really, really quick. And to make his point, he makes three, two points in there. He talks about Noah. Now, Noah kept warning the people he was building an ark for 120 years. And in Hebrews, it tells us that he preached to the people for 120 years while he's building the ark, which I'm sure a lot of it was, hey, Noah, what, what, what the heck are you doing out here building this great big boat you know, in the middle of nowhere? Well, God says it's going to be judgment. Rain's going to fall. What's rain? They had never rained at that point. Uh, well, God's going to judge us. Well, why would God judge us? We're all, we're all pretty good people. We're doing what's right in our own eyes. We're not obeying him at all, but we're, we're really good people. Sound a little bit familiar to our, to our world when you talk to people. Well, are you going to go to heaven? Well, I think so. I'm a pretty good person. Have you broken God's laws? Well, what, what are his laws? Well, have you told a lie? Have you, have, you, have you stolen anything? Have you used his name in vain? Have you coveted or desired something that wasn't yours? 
You know, just a few, just a few minor laws that people break all the time. You know, but yet we'll hear from people, oh, we're good. Or, worse yet, in our generation, just as they were doing in Noah's generation, they called evil good and good evil. We are having people tell us all the time now, hey, you know, you, you Christians who believe in one, one man, one woman for, for life and marriage, you know, there's something wrong with you guys. You're, you are bad because you're making people suffer in bad marriages. You know, you should be free to do whatever you want because that's what's good. You know, I read the scriptures and I look at what's going on and I'm going, how close to the end days are we? How close are we? I'm looking forward to the day when I get to go to heaven and be with Christ. And the world will go through seven years of utter terror and destruction. Not complete. You know, people will tell you that Satan has complete rule during the seven years. He does not because if he did, this world would be over. God still has him on a leash, just like he's always had him on a leash. But he's, op he's going to open that leash a lot further and give him a lot more. And just in the book of Revelation, it tells us that a total of 66% of the population of the world will die. That's a lot of people. I am glad we as Christians won't be during, here during that period of time because a lot of people are going to die. And Jesus says, just as Noah, why did Noah build a boat? He built a boat that was big enough to hold two of every animal. And do you realize that the boat had plenty of room for a lot more people who wanted to repent? And in 120 years, the only ones that walked on that boat... Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Not a single other convert for 120 years of preaching. How would you like to have that as your, as your record? You preach for 120 years, you teach somebody for 120 years, and the only ones you get is your family. That would be hard. That would be discouraging. You know, and yet, that was what he did. And God delivered the righteous from the storm that came. Then he gives a picture of Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah. That in, and if you want to think about this, Sodom and Gomorrah are the two big cities, but it was the entire valley that they were in that was wiped out. And God said, just as in Noah's day, they were eating, drinking, marrying, having their great time. And he says, when Lot was taken out, God destroyed that area. Satan cannot be released to be doing what he wants until God takes out his people. And until that point in time, our job is to preach the gospel. Our job is to share God's truth. And the sad thing to me is as I watch so many Christian churches that do not teach God's word anymore, do not hold God's standards anymore, now, we do not keep the law so that we'll be perfect and earn heaven. Don't get me wrong. You know, I've never taught that. You know. But what do we do? If we love God, we should be wanting to serve him. You know, and this is what comes down to it. We have liberty. We have grace. But that doesn't mean we just go out and live crazy and wild. It's amazing how many people I talk to who believe you can lose your salvation. They go, well, you Baptists, you just believe that anybody can go out and live however they want and go to heaven. I go, well, that's, I have never taught that in my life, but you're right. I do believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. The question is, were you saved? And I've said this over and over. If you can sin without conviction of, that you're sinning, then you have a problem with your relationship with God.
And you may have to look at your life and say, do I know God? Now, the, I know that I sin. Everybody who knows me knows that I sin once in a while. Quite frequently, unfortunately. But you know what? Every time I sin, the Holy Spirit is right there saying, you need to repent. You cannot live this lifestyle. And this is the problem that many people believe that when you say you're once saved, always saved, that you're, somehow you're telling them that they can just live, live like the devil and go to heaven. No, that's definitely not what we're trying to say. Uh, I am saying that if you can sin without being convicted of your sin, there's something wrong with your relationship with God and you're probably not saved. And you need to talk to God about that. Uh, I have no, I, no doubt that I'm saved. When I got saved, God changed my life drastically, and every time I sin, he tells me that I'm doing wrong. I know that I'm saved. You know, and you know, just to help out, if you don't understand the, the idea that you once saved, always saved, we'll go just the favorite verse that everybody knows, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All right. Now, the people who believe you can lose your salvation believe that God lies to them. God gives us everlasting life. When does everlasting life start? Well, that verse says, have everlasting life. Not will have, not shall have, but has everlasting life. Your everlasting life started the moment you believed in Jesus Christ. You will not experience death. Your body will die away, but you, as in your spirit and soul, will not experience death. You will step out of your body into the presence of God. If you could lose your salvation, God lied to you. You don't have everlasting life. And there's plenty of verses that talk about everlasting life. Now, the ones who say you can lose your salvation, they will talk all the time about these verses that say those that live perpetually in a particular sin are not going to heaven. Which matches just what I said. If you can sin without being under conviction and without needing repentance, then you aren't saved in the first place. You didn't lose anything you never had. So in one sense, when you meet these people, we're not that far away. But why do, they, why do these churches and denominations teach you could lose your salvation? So they can control people. For the same reason the scribes and Pharisees taught all the laws and rules. We're going to control you and keep you under control by giving you a bunch of rules. God's not going to do that and I have seen you know in the time that I've walked with God just 52 years I have seen more lives changed by grace of God be giving the grace of God to people than laws laws may make it look like somebody saved uh, changed but you know there's a difference between wanting to serve God and, and desiring to serve God and being made to serve God you know and there's a great big difference between those two and God is looking and saying, I want my children to follow me. And then he's going to rescue, just as he did Noah, just as he did Lot. And in Lot's case, you know, and he said on there, remember Lot's wife. And if, I hope you all know, remember that story. But his Lot and his wife and his daughters were being dragged out of Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't even want to leave. The two angels grabbed them and drugged them out. And remember, they were told, don't look back. And what did Mrs. Lot, we don't know what her name is, you know, what, you know, what did she do? She looked back. And God instantly made her a pillar of salt. She was looking back at all she was leaving. And the sadness of that story, how many times do we look back at what God has taken out of our life? You know, we need to be careful of that. When we're going forward, do not be looking back. 
Don't, don't be thinking, well, man, what would it have been like if I had just, <laughs> you know. But I understand on that, they were being drugged out of their home. It indicates that they didn't have time to pack. No, no tents, no nothing, no food, nothing, no changes of clothes. They were being, they were not listening and they were drugged out. Everything that they owned was back there in that city. And she looked back. How many times do we feel that maybe God is taking away all of our stuff? And you know what? A lot of times he is. If we are locked into the ways of the world, he will take away the world's vision from us. And he's saying, leave that behind. Don't try to go back. And, you know, this was the problem with the children of Israel when, they, when God led them out of Egypt. What did they keep telling Moses? You know, life is tough. Life is hard out there. We want to go back to Egypt. It was easier in Egypt when we were slaves being beat for not doing any work than being out here in the middle of nowhere with manna to pick up every morning and quail every night and eating water flowing from the rocks. But it was easier in, in Egypt when, we, when the, all of our stuff was given to us and we were, you know, all we had to do is you know, uh, work as slaves. But how easy is it for us to forget the bad? We as humans have this great capacity to romanticize the past. Now, way back when, when I used to do this and forget all the bad that drove us out of it. You know, when I first moved to Kingman, I went back into restaurants, which I thought I liked. And I do like various parts of the restaurants. I very quickly remembered why I didn't like restaurants. <laughs> didn't take me long to remember all the downside of going backwards. You know, and how many of you have ever tried to go back and do something? You know, maybe it's something you remember back before you got saved. You know, I used to do these things. And I haven't done it since I got saved. And you try to go back. You know, going back to Egypt. Trying to go back to do something. Maybe you've gone back to visit home. Been away from home for a long time and it's just not the same. We can't ever go backwards. We need to be going forward because what are we looking at? We're looking at home. We want to get to home, and home is heaven. There's a problem. If we feel at home in this world, we've got a problem because this isn't home. And no matter how good things can get on this world, they don't hold a candle to what heaven's going to be like. You know, and I give this quote all the time. Paul said, these light afflictions are nothing compared to the glory of to come. What was he? Now, his light afflictions were really light stuff, you know, being beaten, uh, stoned, uh, chased out of every city that he was in and being, being attacked everywhere. He called those light afflictions. But for us, the, I like that he used light afflictions because anything that we look at, especially in America, whatever we experience in America is a light affliction compared to what Christians go through in most of the world. Now, we have been spoiled in America. And I'm not sure that it's a good thing. Because when trials and tribulations come to us in America, they're going to come as a shock when we face trials and tribulations. And it may very well be in our lifetime, because I believe before the rapture comes, we're going to have a lot of hard times in America before Christ comes. We need to get our hearts set on, I, am going, I, choose to choose, I choose to obey God no matter what. Now, we don't know what that no matter what is, but if you 
ever, you know, and, and I challenge you, if you're not reading it, look at Voice of the Martyrs or some of these other organizations that will tell you about what Christians are going through around the world. Millions of Christians are dying every year for Christ. Now, not back when, but now. If you live in most of Africa, most of Asia, uh, you know, or, or even the Middle East, your life expectancy as a Christian is very short. And yet, Christianity is growing in all those places. And yet, in Europe and America, Christians are weak at best. And it's sad. You know, really sad, and I've said this many times, America used to send out missionaries to the, all the world. It was the largest missionary sending uh, country in the world. Do you realize that America gets more missionaries every year than is sent out from other places in the world? And we're supposed to be a Christian nation. What did I say even before this? The Ill biblical illiteracy rate in America is terrible. The rest of the world is understanding. We're getting missionaries from South America and Africa and Asia all the time to come to America because of how bad our teachings are in America. And here we are with churches everywhere. You know, I, I don't even know how many churches are in, are in Kingman. When I first moved there, there were some 50 church, uh, Christian churches in Kingman. There's more now. You know, and it kind of bothers me that there's that many churches. You know, and I'm wondering how many of them are actually teaching the Word of God in a strong way. We need to be able to take this stance because Jesus is coming soon and his coming will be quick. His coming will be such that people will be missing. Now, have you ever thought about what the rapture is going to mean when Christians are taken out of this world? Now, now, I would hope in our church, and I know most people's testimony in this church, that our church would be virtually empty. I've actually seen churches where they might only lose one or two people, which is even scarier. But can you imagine the chaos that we're going to have when millions of Christians just disappear from the world? You know, I've thought about that. Working out at the prison, I've thought about that, you know, because there's some Christians out there that are in orange. You know, and there's quite a few of them out there. There's probably, you know, 100 or 200 people out of the 4,000 prisoners that are out there that are there. What kind of chaos will the prison have when, let's say, only 20 prisoners disappear? I can tell you right now, if one prisoner doesn't show up where they're supposed to be, they lock down the place and they, and they go crazy. What kind of chaos will there be when a bunch of them disappear who aren't found? <laughs> Only, well, maybe. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, we don't have no idea. But they'll just disappear. Just disappear. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Probably everybody in this room drives an automatic car. So if you're driving and it happens, there's going to be nothing but chaos. Because those cars keep going until they hit something. They don't you know. Uh, the chaos that will happen in this world. Yeah, well, pilotless planes, pilot, you know, it's, you know, there's going to be all kinds of problems when this happens for the world, and the Antichrist will come up to be their answer for their problems. You know, if you remember during COVID, how many people were saying, we need a world leader to step forward to deliver us? We need a Messiah, is what they were saying. 
We're hearing this more and more with every big event that comes along. We need some big world leader. We're, we're setting up right now for the end days. People are ready to accept a world leader who says, I've got the answers. Not just what the Bible says. It's an amazing thing when we read the Bible and look at what God says when he gives a prophecy at how accurate his prophecies are. The world is looking for a leader. When God takes his church out and all chaos breaks loose on this world, a world leader is going to be able to step up and say, I can answer this for you. I've got the answers for you. And we're already seeing the pieces put into place. We're seeing the, the puzzle put together. We can see it. This is one of the reasons that I am so firmly convinced that we are in the last generation. Now, I've got to talk to people, well, you guys have been saying that for 2,000 years. I'm going, yeah, and we're closer today than we were yesterday. You know, we are closer today to the end days than we were when they first started saying it. Could, it. could it possibly be not in our lifetime? Yes, it's possible because we're all older in this room, so it's possible that it may not happen in our lifetime. I'm going to be surprised if it doesn't happen in our lifetime. Israel is a nation, just as God said they would be a nation again. He said that generation would not pass until he returned. So who knows when's the last person that was born in 48 when they came into a nation? That would be a generation. But they're getting old. <laughs> We're close. Are we ready? Are we looking for his return? Are we sharing the gospel with others? You know, we sang the song, I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. And I hope everybody here is telling the world that you're a Christian. Telling the world that they need to be a Christian. And there's all kinds of ways that we can do that. We've, we've done studies on, on evangelism and everything. And I, you know, for a while there, we were taking people out and doing evangelism. You know, maybe we'll do that again. I don't know. I have fun doing it. I'm not, I'm not the greatest evangelist, but I have fun going out and telling people about Jesus. I get to do it a lot at the prison. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but are you sharing the gospel with the people you know? Your neighbors. Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Does your family know that you're a Christian? You know, I hear so many times people go, well, my family was, was visiting me, so I couldn't come to church. And I'm going, well, didn't they know you were a Christian when they visited you? You know, it kind of bothers me. Uh, you know, my family was out here. I still came to church. Only one of them, only one of them came with me, but that's fine. They, they know that I'm a Christian. I'm going to go to church. And that's the way it's always been, even before I was a pastor. Do they know who you are? Have you shared the gospel with your family, with your friends? You know, I can understand maybe not going out to the strangers and, you know, and trying, to, trying to do it. Some people have a problem with that. You know, I'll tell you, it's easier to, easier to witness to strangers than it is to family sometimes. Family goes, yeah, I know who you are. You know, I, know, I know your problems. They're, they're hard to reach. You go out to talk to somebody who doesn't know you, they, they're, they're more willing to listen, usually. But are you living a lifestyle that tells people that you have something that they want? Do you have people looking at you and saying, there's something different about you? Now, and I don't understand it, but everybody tells me at, the, at work that, why are you always happy? I don't think I'm always happy, but they, always, they think I'm happy because I'm happier than they are. Even when bad things are happening, I'm happier than they are. You know, and I love it when they ask him because I go, well, let me tell you why. <laughs> and I get to tell them all about God. And I give them much more than they wanted. But they opened the door. 
Do you have things in your life that make people question? Why? Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Uh, all of our neighbors know that we're a Christian. Between, between going to church you know, four times a week and Samuel talking to everybody in the neighborhood, uh, everybody in our neighborhood knows that we're Christians. Kind of scary, though. They also know that the house is going to be empty on Sunday mornings. But, <laughs> but you know, they all know that we're Christian. They know that we leave every Sunday morning and come back on Sunday afternoon. Do your neighbors know who you are? Do they know that you have something that is real? Does your family recognize that you have something real? Are we sharing the gospel? Because it's going to be a shock to them when people disappear and they did not know. They are doing what they think is right. They do not understand that there is truth. In our day and age, the mantra is that there is no absolute truth. Now, the only problem is they can't live that way either. They have to have truth. And I used to love it when I was in, in college. People go, you know, there's no absolute truth. I go, is that, a, is that an absolute truth? And they go, what? I go, you just made an absolute statement that there is no, an absolute truth statement that there is no absolute truth. So therefore, what you said is wrong, so there is absolute truth. <laughs> and they're all looking at me like, what? I go, you need to be thinking. <laughs> you know, and for us as Christians, do we think? Do we have a logical God? And we do have a logical God. Last week, we had the creation seminar going on where he brought out all these facts that, fit, that science fits creation and not evolution. And yet, people who believe in evolution have never been challenged to believe what is true. And when they hear this, they know that they have been lied to. We have truth. And people oftentimes go, well, how do you share the gospel? And you all have heard this. The gospel is very simple. You can give it to them in five minutes. We're sinners. We deserve punishment. Jesus died for our sins. All you need to do is accept him as your savior. We're done. You've been given the gospel. And people go, well, I can't give the gospel. I, those, that's all you have to do. Now, hope you, hopefully you would add to it a little bit, but it's not hard to give the gospel. You can give it to people in just a minute or two. And people go, well, I don't know. Well, I can now add the verses to it. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And you, know, and you start telling people, and people, well, I don't believe the Bible. I understand you don't believe the Bible. And you know what I still do? I give them the Bible. Why? Because it is truth. And the Holy Spirit will work on that truth. And you give them another, well, you know, I told you I didn't believe the Bible. I go, I understand you don't believe in the Bible. I'll give them another Bible verse. Because the word of God is what will bring results. So when these people tell you they don't believe in the Bible, that's great. Give them the Bible anyway. Most of them aren't even going to know you're giving them the Bible. Because they don't understand. Give God's word. It says, my word does not return void. My words don't mean a whole lot to people. The other thing you want to tell them, tell them your story. How did you get saved? And I hope every one of you in this room can remember the day you got saved and what, and what happened and be able to... And I'm not saying you need to know the exact day and time and, and all of that, but you remember what happened to you when you got saved. My life was totally radically changed even at 10 years old when I got saved. I know God came into my life. My life changed. Did your life change when, you, when Christ came into it?
Was there a change? Has there been great change since? You know, and this is the thing. I'm not looking for somebody to be totally radically changed and overnight they became a perfect person because that doesn't happen. You know, I kind of wish it did, but you know, I've met a few people that have had radical changes in their life and they are the most impatient, self-righteous people out there because they got saved radically in one, in one day and they're, they're, they're looking at you like, what's wrong with you? I wasn't one of those radical changes. God made some big changes in my life, but he's taken a lot of time to, to make me who I am today. What is your testimony? Give people your testimony. How did God change you? How has he made things different for you in your life? Because they can't argue with what happened to you. They might argue with all kinds of things, but they can't argue with your story. It happened to you. It's also the story you should know best. So what are we encouraging on this? As Jesus said, he is coming. He's going to come quickly. Are we ready for him to come quickly? Have we shared with our family, our friends? Because there's one thing you're not going to be able to do in heaven, and that's share Jesus Christ. All right? You're not going to be able to sin either, but you're not going to be able to share Jesus. Now, if anybody's an evangelist, I know that's a sad thing. <laughs> what you love the most is going to be gone. <laughs> You know, I don't know if there's going to be teaching in heaven or not, you know, which would be sad for me if there's no teaching in heaven. Because that's what I love to do. So I don't know what God's going to have me do if there's no teaching in heaven. But I know for the evangelists, they're really in trouble because there's nobody to share the gospel with in heaven. Because everybody there is saved. So what is it that we're looking at? The coming of Christ. There should be urgency in our, in our, in our life. Urgency in our, in our witness. Because we don't know. We don't know if we're going to get to make it home today before the rapture comes. We don't know if we're going to meet next week before a rapture. I make my plans that we are. I will be ready for the baptism next week. <laughs> but you know what? If I'm in heaven, I'm not going to worry about the baptism. It's not going to be the end of the world if it didn't happen because we'll be in our glorified bodies enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. So encourage all of us, where are we with God? What are we going to do with him? How are we sharing him with other people? You know, it is very important for us to be able to go forward and say, God is very real. I'm in a relationship with God. It's not a bunch of rules. And I am so glad it's not a bunch of rules because I don't like rules and I would be in trouble if it was all about rules. I am glad that we are in a relationship with God walking with him and having him lead us in all that we do. Lord, we ask you to bless this day. If there's anybody listening online that doesn't know you, God, we ask that today they would admit that they're a sinner and accept your sacrifice on that cross to cover their sins. And Lord, for each one of us, we ask that you help us be better witnesses for you. Give us the absolute gumption to go out and share you with our family, friends, and neighbors, and open our eyes to the divine opportunities you give us so that we can see, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.